Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode, I am bringing you another guest. I'm very excited to have the opportunity to uh, speak with and share with you Philip Doan. Philip, and this is so timely because this is going to be published in the podcast just as we're heading back to school. So I'm bringing you the best expert I could possibly think of. So Philip Doan has taught elementary school for 33 years, and he was the recipient of the prestigious Charles Schwab Distinguished Teacher Award and Teacher of the Year in California, also a nominee for Disney's Teacher of the Year. He has taught in public school and private schools in the United States and internationally. He also served as an educational consultant around the world. Additionally, Doan has worked as an on-set teacher for child actors in television and film. And Doan's writing about education has appeared in Real Simple, Instructor, Parent, uh, NEA Today, and Reader's Digest. He currently lives in Budapest, Hungary, but he is visiting family in California, where I've caught him today. And I was so thrilled to get a copy of his latest book, because he's written many, but the latest book, The Art of Teaching Children, which just came out this summer. And I had the lovely chance to enjoy this on the dock. This was such 
an inspiring, happy read. Thank you so much for making time to talk about it today, Philip. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great pleasure. So I, I myself am not a teacher. However, I did work in a nursery school for two years and I also helped open a, a couple of nursery schools here in Toronto and did teacher training and worked in the classroom. So I do know firsthand what it's like to be on the other side of the door in the 18 months to five-year-old range, not elementary school. And my mother was a teacher. My sister-in-law is a teacher. Her sister's a teacher. Her father's a principal. I, I'm deeply steeped in, in the, the teaching world. But as I'm reading your book, I was, I just want to say it was so uplifting and positive. I had a smile on my face the whole time. <laughs> Great. The, the stories, the anecdotes that you share had me howling. I was reading them out loud to people that are and aren't teachers. Uh, and I was just, uh, it, it's easy to get um, discouraged sometimes when we talk about education. We can talk about that, but I just, I want to thank you for this positive, important contribution. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It's just terrific. And I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled because I'm getting such terrific feedback from teachers and parents and, and, and even people who aren't even don't even have children. So thank you so much. You know, this is a book that I think that obviously would significantly benefit teachers. But as somebody who's just a parent that wants to know about the world, your kids are going to be in education from their, their youngest of ages for 20 some plus years. I think it's important for parents to know how the other side lives. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. Of, of course, the main reason I wrote the book was to help teachers. You know, as we all know, teachers can use all the help they can get. But I also wrote it with parents in mind because, you know, parents, as you said, they want to know how to help these children. And I, I wrote it specifically also for homeschool parents uh, because I have found that homeschool parents often lack confidence. They just don't know where to start. And so this guide helps parents as well as teachers. The main theme of the book for me, as I read it, and, and part of what drew me in, was you, you make a, a very compelling case through all the different chapters that you cover about the importance of the relationship between the student and the teacher, you you're just being your authentic self and actually just caring about the kids that are in your class and also caring and building relationships with the parents at the door and that everybody is different. Everybody needs to be authentic. Everybody needs to, to plug in together. And that is, that is never missed through whatever topic you talked about. And that just made my heartstrings sing. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that because people often ask me, what would my advice be to teachers going into the profession or new teachers? And, and I always say, that the most important thing is to establish relationships with these children. In the book, I call it the fourth R, reading, writing, arithmetic, and rapport. And you really can't teach the first three without the fourth one. Kids learn best if they feel cared for. And it's absolutely important to establish those relationships. So, so, so how do you do it? How, how would a new teacher do this? Well, you ask children about their lives. You genuinely express an interest in them by just asking, how was that piano recital yesterday? How did your ballet lesson go? How was your soccer game? And I'll, I'll tell you, and I mentioned this in the book, I'll tell you one of the most important ways and quickest ways to establish rapport with children. And that is, 
and it, you might find this funny, but it really works. That is to ask them about their pets. Kids love to talk about their animals. And you know, every, every teacher who's listening to this will know that if you gather a group of, of young children on the carpet, or, or even middle-aged children, and you ask one about their pet, every child will start talking at once about theirs. It, it just happens. Uh, if you bring up their animals, they will love you forever. It's a very practical, quick tip, but it really works. And, and, you know, speaking of you going above and beyond in the way that you connect, I think in the book you even said that you would go so far as going to one of your students' soccer games, just showing up on the field. And, you know, I mean, how can a child not feel validated that they're important and significant and mean something to their teacher when they show up for their extracurriculars? Yes. And, and we all, teachers all have those students who need some extra TLC. So in the book, I, I recommend this for that type of student, not all students, because you just wouldn't have the time of the day to go to all the ballet recitals and soccer games. But there are those students who just need the extra, especially the ones with whom you haven't established that rapport with, as I mentioned, or the trust. So occasionally you have those um, where you do have to go to the soccer game. And I tell a funny story in the book where I had... I went to a soccer game one Saturday morning and I had kids on both teams. So I was running back and forth from one side to the other and the parents got a big kick out of it. But yes. Um, and, and uh, to that point, um, people have often asked me what makes teachers excellent. What's the difference? And one of them, one of the things is going the extra mile Parents appreciate that. That's what separates, in my mind, the good teachers from the great teachers. It's going that extra mile. And in this case, you know, going to a Saturday morning soccer game to establish that relationship with that child is one of the things that does that. So, you know, during the pandemic, we talked a lot about those first responders and we, and we tried to give as much recognition as we could to those teachers that had to switch to online learning, to do online learning with a kid in kindergarten, um, to have all the parents' eyeballs suddenly in your classroom where, you know, yeah. you're not your best self and now suddenly it's judgment day. And I mean, yeah. it was a horrific uh, request. And we had a lot of teachers who burnt out, um, yep. left yep. the profession We've, yes. lost, we've lost some really good people and I don't think we celebrated enough, uh, you know, how, what an ask we made of those teachers that have stuck around. I, you know, are, are you seeing this down in the States and in the where you're still plugged in that teachers are leaving the, are, this cherished profession? Absolutely. It's a big problem in the United States. I'm not sure how it is in Canada, but in the States, we are going through a massive teacher exodus right now, both new and veteran teachers. And so it's so important to do all we can to help these teachers stay in the classroom. And I will give a practical tip to your audience because it's the perfect time, as you mentioned, we're right now in the back to school season. Some schools are already starting here in the States. Uh, my friends in Canada are starting a few weeks later, but in the States, we've already started in a lot of places. So let me give your audience a very practical tip as to how we can support teachers. And it's a small tip, but if we add all those small tips together, it can make a big difference in keeping teachers in the classroom. Okay, it's this. At back-to-school night, and these are coming up in the next few weeks, 
at back to school night, after the, after the presentation, go up to the child's teacher and say something positive. This is what usually happens at back to school night. 95% of parents just get up and leave. They don't go up and say anything to the teacher. Well, the truth is that that teacher has worked very hard to prepare for that presentation, uh, has cleaned the room all week, and is nervous. And it's such a great way to start the year off right. So this is what I suggest. After the talk, go up to the teacher and say something really positive, like, hey, your room looks fantastic, or gosh, I wish I could be a third grader in in this class. And believe me, the teacher will never forget it because it's so rare. And it's a terrific way to start the year off right. And I know it's a small thing, but it will make a huge impact. Teachers don't ask for a lot, but this kind of thing can make a real difference. I often think about the fact that teachers go into the profession because they want to work with children. And I don't think that parents realize that sometimes parents are intimidating and it's not always easy for for teachers. They would like it if you kind of smoothed the way and made the introduction and took the initiative because it's not always natural for teachers. You know, they're, they're, they're wired to want to be with kids. You are absolutely right. Because when we're trained, we're trained to work with the children. Back to school night, to be honest, is one of the scariest events for teachers because it's one thing to work with kids. It really is a different animal to be talking to a group of parents. You know, a lot of teachers get nervous for the back to school night. Uh, so, um, but you bring up a really good point about supporting teachers. And I want to I want to add one more thing for your audience that would make an enormous impact. And that is this. I suggest that parents write a handwritten note to the teacher. Now, let me explain. Uh, Most people don't write handwritten notes anymore, so it makes a big impact. So if you see something coming home in the next month that you like from school, say your child's doing a project and you think, hey, that's really terrific, or you really like the child's teacher, Write a handwritten note. Now, yes, you can email, but it's not going to have the same impact as the handwritten note. If you write that handwritten note, the teacher will save it. I have saved every handwritten note I've received from a parent in 33 years. It makes that big of a difference. And so my number one suggestion for how to support is to, it's so simple. You know, we don't need the mugs anymore and we don't need the bath sets. Though those are appreciated. It's it's the handwritten note. Number one recommendation. So here, let me throw my, so the thing that used to drive me crazy with the back to school was there's a lot of administration that happens in the first like 10 days, these forms and the lunch forms and the vaccination things and the way, and you know, to, I would be, I don't want to spend time hunting down paperwork. I want to be with your kid. I want to be present and teaching and engaging and moving on. I was like, if you want to be helpful to a teacher, get all your paperwork in so I don't have to chase you down. <laughs> Just that alone is so helpful. Oh, absolutely. And it's one of the suggestions I make in the book for parents. I have several chapters that are applicable to parents. Uh, And that is one of those things. Get those forms in. You know, that's that's a small thing, as I mentioned before, but it makes a big difference. And especially like on a field trip, I can't tell you how many times you'll get the permission slip 
back from the parent after you sent three or four reminders on the morning of the trip. So, you know, just be be proactive and get those things signed in. And one practical tip I'd offer for parents is this. When you're getting ready for back to school, you know, besides, of course, you know, go do your back to school shopping early. You, you know, you don't want to be in Target or you know, Walmart, you know, the day before school starts. And it's this. I would suggest uh, creating a, a, an inbox, so to speak, in your home for your child of in, uh, where things that are important need to go. For example, the the thing you just mentioned, things that need to be signed, like for school photos or field trips or vaccination records, anything that requires a signature. I hear from parents, it works really well if you have the inbox. So you know that's important and it needs to be signed. And uh, in addition, I would also, um, you know, have a spot, of course, and a lot of parents know this, you know, a designated spot at home for the child's things, the backpack and the technology. Uh, that's also really important too. So it's just not all over the house. So, I mean, in, in our, to your point, if we build good relations with our kids' teachers and we smooth the way and show our appreciation, that's all going well. It's easy when it's going well. But we've all had that situation where, you know, maybe we do need to bring up uh, a point of contention or clarification or something, and we need to call that teacher meeting. Things aren't going well. What's, what is the best way for parents who have, you know, conflict or, um, you know, negative feedback or whatever you want to say? What, what's the best way to go about that? Let me give you the very best way. And I always say this at Back to School Night. And the point I'm going to make is addressing email. If you have a concern uh, about behavior or academics, any kind of concern, make an appointment with the teacher for a conference. Do not get into it over email. I always would tell my parents at Back to School Night, email is for, hey, my child's lunch is in the office or the child will be excused today for a dentist appointment or something like that. That's it. Email is not for concerns. I have seen so many parents and teachers, especially the younger teachers who haven't quite figured this out sometimes, um, get into academic and behavioral concerns back and forth over email. And oftentimes it just turns into a mess. So that is one really important thing. If you have a concern, make the appointment. You know, that gives you kind of the time to collect your thoughts, you know, not make a brash, you know, email. Um, and um, the teacher will respect it, too. And um, so that's my number one, my number one recommendation if you have a concern. Yeah, and I, I know that uh, you're a fan of try your best to work it out at the teacher level. Some people get really inflamed and they want to go right to the superintendent. You're like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Yes, and I call that playing Monopoly. (laughs) In the book, I call it, you know, kind of the Monopoly parent, you know, where they, I recommend, you know, do, do not go directly to the principal, you know, go to the teacher. It's like the do not pass go. Um, If you have a concern, don't run right to the administrator uh, or the supervisor. Work it out with or try to work it out with the teacher uh, first, always. And that's actually a good sign of a principal too. You know, um, lots of parents will try to go right to the principal and a good principal will say, hey, have you talked to the uh, teacher yet? And if you haven't, uh, they will redirect you. 
So try to work it out with the teacher. Um, so can I, I want to piggyback on that and, and, and make a little pivot in the topic, which is, you know, when I would go into schools, I, I had to do um, these presentations where they sent me to all these schools all over Canada. So I got to have this great little uh, view into different yes. schools. It was, it was really, I'm sure because you've done this internationally, right? It's very eye-opening when you go to different schools around the world and you pick up on the school culture almost from the front foyer. But I noticed like, it used to be that a principal, their picture would be in the in, in the front foyer and you'd have the same principal at a school for 20, 30 years, like a full career. And then as you get closer to the 1990s and the 2000s, it's like, well, why? There's a new principal every two years, every year, like every six months. We, it's like, what happened to principals that were rotating through um, our, our administrators so fast? And so I, I know that that has changed in, in teaching, but are there other things in your 30 plus years of, of being in this profession that you have have seen things that have gotten better, things that have gotten worse? Oh, there have been enormous changes in the last three decades. I've taught for, I taught for over 33 years and the, the changes have been just gargantuan. And of course, the most obvious one and the biggest one has been technology. I mean, technology has just changed everything from the kindergarten classes up through high school. You know, the the laptops have replaced the textbooks and the the screens have replaced the whiteboards. And um, the, the schools have embraced the, the revolution in technology. And, but I will say this. Oh, and I, I'll say, when I, when I started teaching, there, there were no computers in the classrooms. There were no phones in the classroom. You still had to go to the one phone in the staff room and stand in the line to call the parent because there were no phones 35 years ago. But I will say this. Not everything has changed, and and that happies me. Uh, teachers still design and prepare lessons. They still uh, worry about their children. They still go home and talk about the kids. Uh, and I, I, you know, I call those children that we worry about. You know, all teachers have kids that we go home and worry about. Sometimes you go to bed worrying about these kids. And the kids you go to bed worrying about, I have a term for it. I call these pillow students. And we still all have our pillow students. I had them 30 years ago and I have them now. Do you think um, uh, when you're talking about technology, um, do you think schools are given enough support around getting kids to manage their tech either during class time, like getting them off their darn phones when you're doing instructional time or getting them off their phones during homework time. Like, I, I don't know where the school, how much the school can monitor personal use. Did, are they given enough power? Should parents do more? What's your stance on, on kids and their actual damn devices? <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you're bringing this up because uh, screen time and the time kids spend on their devices is a huge issue right now. Uh, both parents and teachers are very concerned about it. Uh, in the book, I address screen time and offer several tips for parents and teachers. Uh, let me give you one tip that I have found that works both in the classroom and at home. Mm. And it's this. I mean, we all know, we all know the things like, you know, have your 
you know, tech-free spaces and to monitor what your kids are watching and, you know, no devices at the dinner table or maybe in the car. Parents know that. But let me give you something else that they may not be considering. And that is, and I have used it in the classroom and it's, it's very effective in establishing that balance that you're talking about. This can be used at home or in the classroom. So this is for teachers and parents. Once a week, have a screen free day. No devices, no screens. It is powerful and it requires a lot of thought, a lot of planning for a teacher, a lot of creativity, because we're so used to using those materials now. You know, as as you pointed out, you know, uh, just go into any third grade classroom and they're on their devices all day long for spelling and reading and math. I, in fact, I don't think all parents, in fact, I think many parents don't realize just how much time the kids are spending mm-hmm. on their devices at school. And, and teachers are concerned about it and parents. But let me get back to the tip. Have a screen-free day. And I would have occasionally, not every week, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out, but maybe once a month, a screen-free day, and I would have screen-free Fridays. And that means that the adult also has to be off the screens. And that's tough. I'll never forget one screen-free Friday at school where um, I I sneaked my phone and I was checking my phone at recess time, it was lunch. And a a little girl walked in, she had to grab a ball from the ball box and she caught me on my phone. And so after lunch, she tattled to the whole class. So I got in big trouble (laughs) from (laughs) 33rd graders. but I'm glad you bring it up because screen time is, is a major issue. And there is a movement in the United States. There's a big pushback movement now uh, by parents, and I'm happy to see it. Uh, some parents are asking for uh, low-tech or non-tech classrooms. And there's a whole term for that now down here called low-tech parenting. And, you know, I'm from Silicon Valley. I was born and raised here. And here in Silicon Silicon Valley, it's well known that the kids of uh, high tech uh, leaders, Google, Apple, Yahoo, uh, all of them send their kids to uh, these schools uh, like the Waldorf School in the Bay Area, uh, very well-respected school, uh, that absolutely do not let kids touch any devices till they're 11 years old. These kids are building go-karts, they're crocheting, they are making Pinewood Derby cars uh, because uh, these schools believe that, you know, this is important when they're children. You know, they're going to learn how to make a PowerPoint. Uh, they don't need to learn how to make a PowerPoint when they're eight years old. You know, what, what these schools believe in is that ch- these children, that children need to be able to think, they need to problem solve, and these are the things that they want to focus on. So um, it's a big concern. I'm glad you brought it up. Well, I was just um, listening to um, a presentation that it, that said that in uh, China, not not that I'm advocating for this method, but they said in China, first of all, the entire country is on one time zone, which I did not know. Uh, it's a big country. And they turn the wi- they turn the Wi-Fi off, so the kids only get an hour a day because the country turns it off. And I know there are schools that have no Wi-Fi, but I I, I just put that out there to say, you know, we could be doing more if we all decided that it was important enough. And so I think you know, to to say having a, a no no tech 
room, hour, day, school, whatever. I, th- I think there's, I think there's more to be done. I, I want people not to feel, um, uh, like, like they've, they've kind of given up, you know, there's sort of this, you know, yes. ah, what, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? It's everywhere. <laughs> they've just given up. Well, like, there, oh, don't give up. Don't give up. To your, to your point, there is an unquestioned bias that having a device is going to make your child's education better. And there a lot of parents and teachers have bought into this. Well, I taught for many, many years and never found that children reading ebooks improves their comprehension any more than reading a real book, nor do, does a math game include, improve their math skills more than a directed lesson from the teacher. So we have to start by asking ourselves, you know, is, is this push for technology driven by pedagogy or is it driven by the ed tech industry? And it's driven by the ed tech industry. There have been no rigid, rigorous studies showing that kids learning is any better by having them use spelling city or eBooks or math games. There have been no rigorous studies. Because you've traveled everywhere, are you seeing this as a phenomenon around the world or do you see uh, similar, what similarities and differences do you see between, I mean, I mentioned China, Uh, somebody made the, made the, the, um, comment something like they're waiting for the American kids to be so um, tech, you know, buzzed out that that their culture is going to like overtake us because they're actually paying attention to the right things. And I, don't, I don't know if that's conspiracy theory or whatever, um, but I can definitely see that we are, our youth are staring at their phones and not doing much else productive for a large part of their day. Um, what other, what other cultural differences are you seeing? Where is American and Canadian education something to be proud of? And, and where do we still have big gains to be had compared to some, some other cultural norms? Well, to your point about technology, I am seeing this worldwide. I've spent a lot of time in Asia. I've been I've taught for years in Europe. So this is a worldwide phenomenon. The uh, too much screen time. Uh, but to your question about you know what am I seeing uh, as far as education is concerned, kind of from a, a perspective of having taught outside of the country. I'll tell you something that I learned. When I was t- teaching at the American School in Budapest, uh, a very prestigious American school there, and we had children from all over the world. And I learned something about the North American school system that I had not known, even having taught there for 15 years before. And I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I had a Dutch child who I had been in this, the American school from kindergarten on, and I had her in fourth grade. Uh, her name was Sophie, and Sophie was leaving with her family to go back to Holland, and she would be going into a Dutch public school. And her mom came by one afternoon to say goodbye, and I took the opportunity to ask this mom, what she had thought of the American school and the American system. And she said, I'm sad to leave. You know, she didn't want to go. But I said, what have you found the most valuable in the American system? And her answer absolutely surprised me. And it's this. She said, 
In North America, you teach the children how to speak. And I, I said, what, what, what do you mean? And she said, in the American system, now she was talking about the American system, but I have many teacher friends in Canada, so it's probably similar there. She said, from, from the get-go, from the time they're in kindergarten, they are up in front of those classrooms talking. They're bringing in their, you know, Polly Pocket dolls at kindergarten and sharing. They are giving presentations. They are sharing their writing. And she said, that does not happen in Europe. The emphasis is not on speaking. Mm. And I, I thought that was wonderful to hear because, you know, you, you hear so many negative things about education. It was, it was like a little pat on the back for the American education system. She said she will absolutely miss it. And she said, because she was, she would attend the uh, meetings of the International Women's Association uh, there in uh, Budapest. And these were uh, very highly educated women from all over the world who had their kids there. And she said, uh, when the American women stand up and speak, it's night and day from other cultures because um, of their ability to speak and also their ability to use humor. She said she she was not taught how to speak or how to engage an audience or how to use humor uh, until she was in college. And so I, I, I really appreciated that. So to your point, um, the speaking, which I hadn't even considered. We're, we're, what is that? You know, we're too too close to the forest to see the trees or whatever. We're too we're too much a product of our own culture to know what makes it stand out. That's fascinating. And of course, having having children have a voice to command a room, how empowering, you know, that's fantastic. Yes. yes. And had you even thought of that? I hadn't even thought of it. No, I took to, it your, to your point. Yeah. Yes. So, so embedded in what we do wouldn't, yes. wouldn't stand I out as being for, different. I took it for granted. You know, you know, all primary teachers have their kids, you know, br bring in their stuff for show and tell, you know, we're learning maps, bring in a map, you know, we're learning about rocks, bring in a rock. It's just something we do and we don't question, but this is not done elsewhere. I have a very good friend from Poland as well. And I ran this point by him. I said, I'm curious, what's it like in Poland? You know, do, do you stand up, up in front of the room and, and share your writing? Which is very common in in an American system. And he said, absolutely not. Never. He never did it once. So wow. it's something we take for granted, but it's something we can pat ourselves on the back for. It's something wow. we're doing right. Is there anything that you saw abroad that you wish we'd adopt into our into our uh, re renovations of our education system <laughs> that could that would be useful? Absolutely. I'll give you the most important. I have found that in Europe there is more emphasis placed on the arts and an education in the arts. And um, you know, gosh, you know, the first thing to go when there are budget cuts, as you know, is arts classes. And I'm talking visual arts and performing arts. I just read a very sad statistic that in the last couple of years, a thousand art classes were canceled in Oklahoma alone. And, um, you know, arts, I, I'm a big advocate of education um, using the arts because, um, and, and I'll go back to your point about um, the pandemic, because I often get asked, well, you know, if, now that we're back in the classrooms face to face, you know, how, what do you recommend? 
um, you know, f- for teachers. And it ties into what I was just going to say about the arts. One of the things I would recommend the most is um, focus on the arts. And I'll tell you why. Arts, participation in the arts by children brings healing. It brings comfort. It helps create a sense of well-being in kids. And it can be very restorative for many kids. The arts are a life a lifeline. And what the pandemic did is, as you know, uh, and as your listeners know, it, it, it took a toll on the mental health of children across the world. And one of the ways we can help restore that is by focusing on the arts. So, so how do we do this? Uh, you have kids draw, you have them sing, you have them paint, you have them make things with their hands. All of that is highly restorative. And it's not something that you might consider right away. But, you know, I've been teaching for over 33 years and I've seen it. I've seen it time and time again. I have seen the child who is shy just, you know, come out of their shell. Um, I've seen the child who's scared and nervous or with whom you don't have trust just change uh, because of participation in the arts. So that would be my focus. And that's what I'm seeing in other cultures is there is there is an acknowledgement of that. And I don't it's not that I think that American teachers don't value this at all. I do. But there's just so much time in the day. There are other things you have to teach. And um, uh, that's what gets in the way of not doing it. But teachers know. Teachers know that it's valuable. Actually, teachers know it's not a frill. It's a necessity. Yeah, uh, it would be really wonderful if teachers were in a better position to help drive uh, some of the changes required. You know, they, 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 really, they know their kids, they, they know their craft, they know their skill, and uh, yet there is a lot of bureaucracy that they have to fight against um, and they, they don't step up in, into the conversation. They aren't invited into those decision-making conversations in the way that they should be. And, and I think it's really hard to love children so much to sit on such a wealth of knowledge and then to be frustrated by the policies yes. of school boards. You bring up a really good point. And I'm, again, I'm so glad you brought it up because teachers do feel that they, they don't have any power or they don't have any say. You know, these programs come down from the state, then they go to the district level and they're adopted. And, you know, it's, it can be frustrating when you, you're just told you have to do this and you don't have time to do some other things that you'd like to do. Uh, you know, you want to put on the school play, but you have to do this. You want to do the read aloud, but you have to prepare the kids for the test. But let me, let me share something hopeful about this because I, I want to address the, the lack of empowerment that some teachers feel that, oh, you know, I just got to do what I'm told. And this also addresses an earlier point that we were discussing about, um, you know, teachers leaving the profession, but also children, children leaving schools. This is a huge problem right now. We have... We have a, about a million kids who are dropping out of school a year. Wow. Wow. I, I've read it's like 7,000 kids a day are dropping out of high school. It's a staggering statistic. And um, when I started teaching, this issue was 
um, in the in the front. I mean, people were discussing this, and now it's been overshadowed by other big issues in education. So I, I want to address that, but I also want to offer some hope and give teachers some empowerment here. Okay, so I'm going to put all of these things together, and it's this: there is something I believe that teachers can do to feel more empowered um, and to make a difference. And that is this, and I address it in the book. Make your lessons as fantastic as you can. You see, we have control over those 45 minutes that we're teaching math or we're teaching literature or we're teaching, you know, social studies. And what happens is, you, you know, you're, you're, you're teaching and, you know, you, you can let things slide. You know, you get so busy with the other distractions um, that you can kind of wing it. Uh, you can not put your best effort in. You can, um, you can not be as creative as, you know, you could if you had the time. So what I'm, what I'm suggesting is this. If you make your lessons, that 45-minute math lesson, as dynamic and creative, as engaging as you can, and if everybody chose to do that for one lesson, everybody in school, for one lesson a day, Imagine the impact that would have on those kids in that school. Imagine how everybody would feel when they're talking about this at the staff meeting. It, because if you improve your teaching, you're bound to improve the learning. And then you're bound to help keep some of these kids in school. The reason kids are dropping out of school is because they're not engaged. They're bored. Let's just say it. They're bored. They're not engaged. It's the truth. If kids were more engaged, there, I believe there would be less kids dropping out of school. You know, you know, make that read aloud so engaging that they want to come back to school the next day to hear, you know, what happens in Willy Wonka's factory. So <laughs> it, it really, it's 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 such a small thing, but I I hear it all the time. Ah, they throw up their hands. Nothing we can do. It is what it is. Mm, there is something we can do. And it's with the children, with the door closed. So that's what I believe. Oh, teachers can be magical and they can change a life. And they they are, you know, angels on this planet, in my humble opinion. And, and I know it's a tough occupation and they deserve so much respect and they've done so much. And I we, we need to do as much as we can to keep them uh, knowing that we respect them, their craft, their art, get behind them, build community around schools. That's the village that our kids need. It's the first, it's the first society outside of our nuclear family that they get to go to. And for some kids, the nuclear family is not a healthy place, but if they've got the teacher in the school environment that is, it's, it's life-saving. Uh, and, and yet we, 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 we kind of poo-poo it as, oh, you know, they're unionized and they get the summers off and why are they complaining? And we don't, and it's like, no, there's another story. And you, you share it so compellingly in your book. I, I, I just want to turn the floor back over to you. Is there anything else that you would like this audience of listeners to, to take away from our conversation? There's tons more in the book that we haven't even touched, but anything that you'd like to, to make sure that we cover today? Yes. As I mentioned in the beginning of our talk, I wrote the book for teachers and parents. But what I'm hearing from people, especially in the last two or three weeks since the book has come out, is that 
it is resonating with a broader audience of those who work with children, camp counselors and Sunday school teachers and den mothers. I have a friend who coaches tennis and for children. And he said that the book was helpful for him. I have a piano teacher friend who said she can apply the things in the book for her students. In fact, I, I have a friend who is a manager at a big Silicon Valley company, and she read the book and she said, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm reading it over uh, over the water cooler to my colleagues because so many of things are applicable for adults. You know, she then added that, you know, adults aren't that different than third graders. And so, yes, that's that's the thing I'd like to add is that, yes, it's for teachers and I wrote it for teachers and yes, it's for parents, but it really is for Anyone who works with children and anyone who cares about their learning and wants to better the, the learning of children and their teaching of children. Well, thank you for, for, for writing. I'm sure even though you're retired, you've got more books in you. Uh, you, you know, this wasn't, this, this wasn't your first book. You've, you've, you've dappled in other, other subject matters. And I'm, I'm sure you've retired enough time to continue having an enriching life and we'll have more to share back. I will put a, uh, a link to the book in my show notes. Is there any other, um, you know, Im important ways that people can like follow you, follow this conversation? H how else can we keep, keep in touch with you? Well, the best way is to uh, probably follow me on Facebook. If you just uh, search for Philip Doan, P-H-I-L-L-I-P, two L's in Philip, uh, you know, they can friend me there. Uh, they can also uh, reach me through Simon & Schuster. I have an author page with Simon & Schuster. The book is with Avid Reader Press, but that is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. So those are probably the two best ways. But I, I, I hope you're in, your audience enjoys it. it. It was a pleasure to write. And um, thank you so much for having me. It's really been a delightful conversation. I, I actually don't want this conversation to end because I love talking about all of these things. I, I, there, like I said, there was so much content in this book. Please make this my, my first invitation to the next time you'll come on the show. <laughs> we will dig into some more of the meat that yeah. is here. Yeah, it's just been great. I, I can tell you have a terrific heart for kids and a heart for education. And uh, you, you care about teaching and learning. And um, so thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me a voice to, to share this with people and help people. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure on behalf of, of my, my listener, my audience, uh, thank you for your contributions. And we look forward to having you on the podcast again. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. For me too. Take care. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast, so thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.